Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be here with you for episode 19 of this film and entertainment industry podcast. Same old, same old today. I have three rapid-fire reviews for you that I'm going to give. Then I have two movies that I saw in theaters in the last week and I'm excited to talk about. But the first thing I want to talk about today is a increased focus on the Writers Guild of America strike. That's been in the news a bit lately, so I figured I can share with you what I've been reading about. So on last Friday, the WGA and AMPTP finally met up again to resume labor negotiations. Uh, This is not surprising as Labor Day is fast approaching, and that's usually a benchmark for the fall season of TV shows and them either being in full production or production getting underway. Additionally, it is not surprising that the studios are looking to strike a deal with the writers first. For a lot of those fall shows specifically, if they have no episodes written, they even if they made a deal with the actors, they could not start producing. So once the writers are back to work, the studios can focus on a deal for the actors while the writers begin writing episodes and banking scripts. Uh, some sources within the industry have said that Once labor deals are reached, if there are no scripts banked for these shows, uh, most drama series would take about two months to deliver new episodes, while comedies will take a minimum of six weeks. Those are uh, very optimistic predictions. Typically, you would probably see another month or two added on to that as there's going to be holiday breaks with Thanksgiving and Christmas and production just going to move slower as things get back into the swing of it. So the studio's finally coming back to the table. The writers is not surprising in the least bit. And following the counter proposal from the studios last Friday, uh, the sides were scheduled to meet today to for the writers to give their counter offer back. It's that's how these negotiations go. It's just offers back and forth. Some points will be agreed upon and not talked about again until the final signing. Other points may come up again just as concessions are made a studio or the writers may say we concede on this so we want this back so these talks are ongoing and the studio's offer to the writers is pretty interesting um i read an article from bloomberg news about it where uh detailed quite a few points on what offer the studios made keep in mind that the writers guild has said they're not going to share any details of the offer specific offer details with press or with their members It's essentially a media blackout for them regarding the labor negotiations. So realistically, any leaks you're seeing about these offers is coming from the studios. And as we know, labor negotiations like this are a chess game. So it's possible the studios are putting what they offered out to make themselves look better as they have been getting hammered in the press and on social media by actors and writers sharing their stories and what they believe they're worth and what the studios are doing wrong. That said, the offer that has leaked included uh, points such as a 5% base pay hike. The writers asked for 6%. Initially, the studios offered 4 so it seems they've come to the middle on that. A 20% increase in residual payments for shows that appear on a network other than its originally aired network. This is not a residual pay for streaming, though. That is still a major issue that the it appears the studios are not offering up yet any residuals for streaming. Speaking of streaming, companies that 
they have said that they will share numbers on hours viewed for streaming data. That's a huge step. Previously, the studios have had no interest in sharing any streaming data whatsoever. They've been very closed about what they've shared. So it's good to see them to start make some concessions there. Along the lines of the pay, the studios also offered increased salary and a minimum duration of work for what the writers call mini rooms or a writer's room before a show has been picked up or renewed. Typically, in that time, they'll work on scripts, ideas, start putting things together with fewer writers, and once the show is picked up for real or a new season is renewed, they will bring more writers into the room. So increasing the duration of work and the pay for these mini rooms is really important because they're constantly happening. The studios are setting up these mini writing rooms to see whether something is worth producing. The writers have to have that be worth it for them. So more time worked and a salary increase on that. And then the final point that came out is that the studios ensured that writers will be credited as writers of screenplays rather than replacing them with artificial intelligence. Reading this myself, I think that is a very carefully worded statement in that it does not say the studios ensure they will not use AI to write scripts. As we've seen, I believe it was Disney Netflix posted job openings for essentially AI managerial positions, which they could credit a a writer for managing an AI-created script. The whole issue with the writers here is the AI should not be coming up with these ideas. It should be the writers coming up with them. So it'll be interesting to see if the Writers Guild does come out and talk about that aspect of the offer, what it actually was. Um, That was the offer presented last Friday, as I said. Today on the 16th, the uh, writers returned to the room with the studios to uh, present their counteroffer in an in-person meeting, which is good. It's showing that both sides are willing to negotiate, which is a great change of pace. But overall, the sit-down was said to have mixed results so far. So I'll keep you updated. Um, We're hoping to get more news on that later today. We'll see if we actually do. But... It is certainly trending positively that the studios are starting to feel the pressure and saying, okay, we have to get back to the table. Let's get the writer's deal done first, and then we'll work and get the actor's deal done once the writers are back to work. I don't have any updates on the actor strike today. Uh, doesn't, From what I've seen, there haven't been many talks between actors, the SAG-AFTRA union, and, and PTP. <laughs> I keep saying AMPTP, and it's kind of fun to say, but it's also kind of a mouthful of times with that PTP at the end. So if I mess it up at all, please just give me some leeway as it doesn't quite roll off the tongue despite being fun to say. Um, Yeah, so they have not had many discussions. The actors and writers are both still out there picketing. Um, I actually saw a clip of a few clips and images of the Parks and Union, Parks and Union, the Parks and Recreation cast had a mini reunion on the picket line where they all together um nick offerman was there aubrey plaza was there retta was there adam scott was there looked like a great little reunion they brought out a little sebastian so my support still goes out to all the actors and writers that are on strike i hope they're able to strike a fair deal and get the credit they deserve own their own rights and likenesses and get the pay that they deserve For now, that's going to be the last of the strike update I have for probably a couple weeks. Unless something major changes, as I said, I'll be going away next week. So 
I will have an episode pre-recorded that will not talk about any strike updates. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic as if there are any updates on the strike, I'll likely post them directly to there. And when I'm back in two weeks, I will return for a more in-depth discussion about what has happened to the strikes in that time. Moving on, I mentioned I have three rapid-fire reviews for you today, so we're going to get started with that. Here's my review for Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. I recently watched Glass Onion. I had seen it when it came out. I believe it was the end of last year. It came out right around Thanksgiving time. I believe the first Knives Out movie is overall a better movie. I think it's a better mystery, uh, has better twists within it, but I think Glass Onion is more fun. They went more of a humorous route with it. They really leaned into Benoit Blanc's humor. That's Daniel Craig playing Benoit Blanc. And I think the movie's just a blast. I laugh at it a lot more, especially the ending, I think, is very funny and kind of gets you excited in a funny way, as comedy movies can do at times. Ryan Johnson, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, and all of the cast really understood the assignment for the sequel. And they made an enjoyable movie that... It didn't feel like a sequel that didn't need to be done. It felt like, this is great. This is a step forward. It's evolving. It's not just the same thing rehashed with a slightly different story. Kate Hudson, in particular, her character is hilarious in this. Has Dave Bautista, who this was before Knock at the Cabin. So two straight movies I've seen with him. Dave Bautista is really on a roll. I'm excited to see what he does next. this, This was great. I really enjoy Glass Onion. I think the best comparison for the Knives Out movies is the Kenneth Branagh detective movies about Hercule Poirot. There was a Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. I'll be honest, I did not like Death on the Nile at all. Was not a fan. My fiance was not a fan of it. It was one of our lowest rated movies from last year. But there is a third one coming out that comes out mid-October, mid-September, sorry, A haunting in Venice, and it looks really good. It looks like they discovered we need to do something different. We need to try something new. It's going to be a thriller, suspense, borderline horror movie that I cannot wait for. It's right in line with the spooky season, so I'm really excited for a haunting in Venice. I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much, as I was very excited for Death on the Nile. I love a mystery, and that movie just let me down. So we will see, but... That said, I do think the Knives Out movies are much better than the Kenneth Branagh films. I think Ryan Johnson has created this beautiful story that I really enjoy, and I'm excited to see what they do for Knives Out 3. I think he should take a turn like a Haunting Venice is. Either go full silly or go much more serious. Bring us back down to earth. A lot less of that rich uh, person humor, I, I think. He has a lot of options. I'm excited. I think Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc is amazing. That southern drawl he has. Glass Onion is absolutely worth watching. It's available on Netflix. It's You don't have to have seen the first one to watch the second one. The performances in the second one are great. The first one has a much better villain and um, mystery to it, but the second one is just fun. It's great for, I think I watched it on a Monday night, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. 8 out of 10, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Okay, so the next movie I want to talk about is one I very recently watched. It is called She Said. This is a movie about the New York Times story regarding Harvey Weinstein and his sexual harassment. And it was the first story that broke really all the accusations towards Harvey Weinstein. 
I'm a little bit biased as I really enjoy movies that are in this style that uh, tell the story of how a major breaking news moment came to be and how it was created and how the journalist worked on it, how they gathered their sources, everything involving it. Movies like Spotlight, The Post, Bombshell, I am enthralled with this kind of movie. I think they're very organic. I think it's a great way to tell a story about a story. So I really enjoy that. And this one in particular, it really focused more so on the trauma and the resulting resilience that these heinous acts committed by Weinstein left these women to deal with and how all of them felt alone. And it took a team effort, a team of women to come together and share their own stories and put this out there. And then in the time since, I believe over 80 women have come out and shared their story of what Harvey Weinstein did. He has been convicted and sentenced to 23 years in prison in New York. He may have been convicted in L.A. already. I'm not positive, but he was on trial in L.A. and London as well. And the movie, it doesn't make Weinstein a main character of the film. You have something like Bombshell, which details the allegations at Fox News, made Roger Ailes the villain of the movie and a main character and focused more on the actions he took versus she said focuses more on building the story and it leaves Harvey Weinstein to be a ominous shadow over the film rather than a character within it. And everything about this movie, its cinematography, its pace, it felt very accurate for what is essentially a procedural journalism film. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. There's one specific part of it where actual real audio of Harvey Weinstein and Amber Batalano was included and an interaction they had that was truly chilling. It is at the peak mo- peak of this film as everything is taking a turn. And this movie's great. I, I think it's 100% worth watching. It's available on Amazon Prime. So if you have a Prime membership, you can watch it. No extra charge. And these kinds of stories, they're always worth sharing, listening to, and taking in. Because as the Me Too movement and the Weinstein allegations and the reporting and the Women's March and everything that followed shows is no one's alone in this. People just have to listen and they have to believe these stories. And she said, does a great job of showing that aspect of it as well. 7.3 out of 10, absolutely worth watching. A really powerful story. All right, we're going to move on. My last rapid fire review here is going to be for a very recent release from Netflix. They cloned Tyrone. This movie tells the story of three people that live in this impoverished ghetto community and three black people that live in this community and they discover a conspiracy within their community and the events that follow that. This being a Netflix movie, this was so much better than I expected. I I had a lot of fun with it. It's genuinely hilarious at times, but the story is really still able to keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, the writing in it is absolutely brilliant. It is able to keep this smaller scale within the community and not be too absurd, but it's large enough and hints to a bigger picture that keeps you invested in it, which is fantastic. I think Netflix has traditionally had some problems with their movies and the story aspect of it not quite lining up. And then you can see in some of their films, they don't put as much into the visual aspect of it as they should it's really a question of where netflix puts the money in these movies but 
They Clone Tyrone is visually very impressive. The color grading throughout with some very fun camera work. The cinematographer on the film was Ken Song, who worked on the first Deadpool movie in Project X, which I love both those movies, so no surprise that I loved his work again here. And the movie stars John Boyega, Teyana Paris, and Jamie Foxx. And the three of them have terrific chemistry, and they're really able to elevate what is clearly a good script and arguably a great script to amazing. Unfortunately, this movie and their performances have been really overshadowed as it came out right in the midst of the Barbenheimer bonanza as that was unfolding that and the strike. So people have been kind of anti-Netflix, the password sharing thing. Poor release timing has really overshadowed this movie because it's fantastic. I had so much fun. John Boyega brings a lot of the emotion and depth into this film with his character and what he goes through in the character journey. Well, Jimmy Fox, on the other end, is incredible in the role of this comical, out-of-left-field weirdo that's just so much fun. And then, to complete the trio, you have Tiana Paris, who is the bridge between both those characters and blend bits of both of them, the comedy and the emotion, into this great trio that flows so well together, plays so well off of each other. I, I was shocked at how much I loved this movie. I would absolutely love a sequel for it. It would feel very natural. It would make sense within the context of the movie's ending. And I believe there's still a larger story that can be told within the broad strokes of this world, universe, whatever we're calling it nowadays. I believe the story could be finished even further. While it did have a great ending, you could keep going if Netflix so chooses. If John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, Ayanna Paris are willing. Um, I fully believe Netflix will go for a sequel on this. I, I absolutely loved it. It's absolutely worth a watch. Like I said, it's on Netflix now. If you're looking for something new, a change of pace to watch at home, They Clone Tyrone, well worth it. 8 out of 10 on They Clone Tyrone. Loved that movie. All right. So, like I said, I have two new releases that I just saw in theaters that I'm going to talk about today. One of them is going to be a little bit shorter. One's going to be a little bit longer because I care a lot more about one. So let's start with the first. Here's my review for The Last Voyage of the Demeter. This movie tells the story of the boat, the Demeter, on a journey from Romania to London. And it so happens that this is the ship that brings Dracula to London. It is detailed in the Dracula novel, and this tells the story of that journey. This movie had the structure to be really, really good, but unfortunately it was kind of left me in the theater. I left the theater thinking it was just decent. It had numerous plot holes and questionable story choices, and I personally would have done things different. That's not to say it's a bad movie, but I felt like it could have been a lot better. Um, one of the good things about the movie that saved it from being bad is the fact that the suspense built throughout the movie was really well done. The visual style they chose for Dracula was scary. It was good. I really enjoyed it. It was unique and different. Those aspects really kept me going. The acting performances were pretty decent. There was nothing bad. The only time I was really wowed was by a couple scenes featuring Liam Cunningham 
uh, if you watch Game of Thrones, he's the actor who played Davos. He was the best actor in the movie. Some of the story aspects for his character were really well and gave him a lot to work with. For some other characters, it kind of left you wanting more. I think what they could have done, for, in my opinion, would have made the movie better for me was not make it a known Dracula story. I didn't know the story of the Demeter. I've heard that name, but I didn't know why I recognized the name the Demeter. I wouldn't have known Dracula was coming over. I wish they had marketed it as just the last voyage of the Demeter. Some crazy shit is happening on this ship from Romania to London. And then throughout the movie, the audience is in the same level of no as the characters in the movie, slowly discovering what this beast aboard their ship is and what it does and how it acts and getting scared and the suspense building as they approach London. I think the movie would have been a lot better that way. All of that said, this is not the worst Dracula movie I've seen this year. Not a sentence I thought I'd say. Didn't think I would have seen two new Dracula stories within the same year, but there was Renfield and there was The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Renfield was absolutely absurd and just was a ridiculous movie. Last Voyage of the Demeter is good as a suspense story. I I don't think you need to watch it in theaters. I watched it by myself Saturday morning, which I enjoyed because I liked the darkness of the theater. I liked the increased sound level. I like not having to look at my phone at all, just being fully focused. I think that probably added to my suspense level. But for most people, I think this is one you can pass on in theaters. The Last Voyage of the Demeter, 5.8 out of 10. Okay, so that was quicker than I thought. I guess you could really call that a another rapid fire review more than a full review. I just didn't have much to say with it. So we're going to move on. Movie I'm very excited to talk about. Here's my review for Jules. Jules tell this, tells the story of an aging man, Milton, going about his lonely life when an alien spaceship crashes into his azalea garden, and the alien then begins to stay with him while working on a ship and attempting to leave. This is hands down the most charming movie I've watched this year. I saw it with my friend Anastasia, my fiance Abigail, and... All three of us walked out of the theater like, wow, we didn't expect this movie to be so heartfelt. It really blew me away. It reminded me a lot, and they both agreed with me, of how I felt after watching Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, a stop-motion movie from last year that was in my top five movies last year. I absolutely loved it. I think these two movies go very well together in telling similar but different stories. For Jules, while the movie is about this alien visitor, that's used more as a story-driving device rather than the movie's actual substance. That pushes the plot forward rather than being what the plot is about. It actually tells this beautiful story about dealing with old age, your family leaving, confronting loneliness, getting older as your memory fades, and everything that that entails. For me personally, I'm able to relate to a lot of those themes because of experiences in my own life. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. It was very hard to watch her slowly lose her memory and become more and more forgetful. And specifically for my mother, she took the lead in managing her care once my grandmother moved into an assisted living facility and was there every step of the way through doctor's appointments and checkups and seeing this slow decline. 
So I felt a very deep connection to the plight of Milton's daughter in this film, who is only trying to help her dad and get him the best care and make sure he's taken care of. And Milton has repeated refusals. He gets frustrated. He does not want to deal with this. He thinks he's fine. It's a very tough subject matter to broach. And I think Jules, this movie, does it beautifully. It is so well written. It's an original story. I think using the alien, you almost think it's going to be like a metaphor for something that's talked about or not talked about. But really, it's just to push this story forward in a very unique and almost silly way, which is a lot of fun. Ben Kingsley plays Milton in this movie, and he is the absolute heart of the movie. Um, his performance is one of the best performances I've seen this year. Unfortunately, I've not heard a single whisper of any kind of award buzz or accolade buzz for his performance in Jules, but I think he's absolutely deserving. The somberness with which he plays this character, Milton, and the realness to it really struck me and is what stood out most to me having walked out of the movie. And then alongside him, you have... Harriet Sansom Harris and Jane Curtin, who, while they bring a lot of the fun into this movie, they're also able to support that emotional depth that this movie delivers so well, so instantly. And where you have Kingsley's Milton as the heart of the movie, Jules the alien is the soul of this movie. Not a single line, very little emotion reaction to anything, just kind of sitting there looking listening you think and every character that meets Jules immediately opens up and it feels so real it's just such a nice sign to see these characters who are on their own who don't have many people to talk to who are looking for a connection they find this in Jules they just want to talk they just want to share and this movie was delightful I cannot say enough good things about Jules I love this movie and I look forward to watching it again. I'll probably rewatch Marcel the Shell with Shoes on as a result of this because I think these movies go really well hand in hand. For a summer that has been surrounded with tons of big budget block blockbusters, really loud, expensive movies, really popular movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer, it's been a loud summer of movies. To have something that is a little bit quieter, a little bit more silly, less serious but with emotional depth and having fun and being so charming was just a delightful change of pace. It's all three of us had a blast watching this movie. I think this movie is going to not get the recognition it deserves, but I think it'll be looked back on very fondly by those that watched it, myself included. Jules is getting a nine out of 10 for me, a solid movie. I, I loved it. I really did love it. Um, and that's my last review for today Jules is absolutely worth watching if you can't go see it in theaters watch it as soon as it's available at home I think everyone if you have a loved one that's older or aging or you know a loved one that went through this with their parents or grandparents 100% give this a shot you won't regret it like I said that's my last review for today I it was a fun day of movies. It was a fun last week of movies. I'm excited for a couple more movies I have coming up. I know I'll be seeing Haunted Mansion at the end of this week. So when I'm eventually back to my new movie reviews, I will give my review for that. I will likely not see any movies next week. So we'll see what episode 21 entails. 
I mentioned doing something unique and different for episode 20. I'm excited. The 20th episode, that's pretty big benchmark for me. So I decided I'm going to do top five lists. I have four different top five lists that I'll be talking about, and I'll give you a little preview of those now. We're going to be doing my top five MCU movies, as I'm a massive Marvel fan, and that's probably the first instance of me realizing I love movies. I'll be doing my top five animated movies, as I feel like animation needs to be talked about more. I will be doing my top five movies from this year. It's 2023. I got to share what I think on these movies. I haven't given an update in my top movies of the year in quite a while, so I'll go through those, and then I'll be giving my top five movies period, full stop. I've never really talked about those on this podcast, so I'm excited to get to share what movies I think are my favorite. Not necessarily the best movies I've ever seen, but my favorite movies, the ones I will keep returning to and always wanting to talk about. That's going to be a very fun episode for me. I think I'm going to record it on Friday or Saturday. I'll post it next week, my 20th episode. I I cannot wait. In the meantime, I'll probably try to watch a lot of movies at home and in the time between my work trip or if we're just sitting at the hotel late at night, I'll throw in some more movies because I just love watching movies. On my current watch list, I have uh, Coco. Have not seen Coco. A great, supposedly a great Pixar movie. I'm very excited for that. And then I've been looking to take in some shorter movies. There's Greta Gerwig starred in one Francis Ha. It's directed by her partner, Noah Baumbach. I've heard great things about that. Very excited. Two movies from A24, 8th grade and mid-90s are supposed to be very emotional movies. So I have a ton of movies on my watch list that I'm looking forward to seeing. I have mentioned this, I think, a few weeks ago. I've been slowly working my way through just the Avengers movies. I finished Age of Ultron recently, so we'll see if I go right into Infinity War. I might throw on Captain America Civil War as it's more of an Avengers movie than a Captain America movie, but a lot of fun movie watching. Top five lists next week. Be ready for that. And follow me everywhere. Instagram, TikTok, Letterboxd, at Sidekick Critic. I'll post updates on the strike if there's any breaking news there. I will post some clips, some reviews. I'll talk about movies. I'll share things I find interesting. And As always, my name is Andrew Crosby. Thank you for joining me on the Sidekick Critic Podcast. I'll see you next time.